Welcome to Crossing Face, where Christian and Muslims talk religion and politics. Uh, we are recapping our visit to the Earth Summit. This was Elliot's first International Religious Freedom Summit. But uh, we're going to start off with um, a series of interviews. This month in February, we're going to release eight interviews from the International Religious Freedom Summit. We're going to start off with Katrina Lantos-Sweat, who is the daughter of Tom Lantos who started the Tom Lantos Human Rights Commission. She now governs it, as well as a co-chair of the International Religious Freedom Summit. Uh, we're very fortunate to have her uh, give her uh, a little bit of a broad view of not only the summit, but her priorities. You're broadcasting from the International Religious Freedom Summit uh, here in Washington, D.C., and we were very lucky uh, to get Katrina Lantos Sweat here, and uh, she's very, very gracious of, of you to spend time with us. Welcome. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much, and thank you for what you've been doing. It was so interesting to hear about sort of the history and reach of this podcast and, and, and the work you do in the interfaith space. So I think it's needed now more than ever. That is, those are no mere idle words, you know what I mean? Now it's sort of speaks to everybody's heart it's you know it's amazing because here we are um you know it's over 20 years after the after urfa and religious persecution has been on the rise steadily um and we've had a lot of these wonderful wins uh the ministerial first ministerial the earth summit uh and then we have all this such diversity within the multi-faith space now with organizations but maybe we could take a step back and um speak a little bit about uh, the Lantos Commission for Human Rights, um, which is your legacy, the legacy of your father, and and you now have taken that to a new, a new height. Um, and so our our international office, we, office our international audience may or may not know, but if you could just give us a brief of what it is, and then and what you've done with it since you've been charged with, um, you know, moving it in this these really strange, innovative, and wonderful directions. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I'll tell your audience just a little bit about. My father's background. So um, my dad was Tom Lantos, and he was a Hungarian Holocaust survivor who came to the United States as a teenager at the end of the war um, with sort of $5 in his pocket and um, made his way, you know, tried to carve out his own little bit of the American dream, buried his childhood sweetheart, raised two daughters. Uh, but in 19, um, 1980, he had the opportunity to run for Congress, and he became at that time the first and the only Holocaust survivor who would ever serve in the U.S. Congress. Because, of course, that generation is now leaving the scene. My mom is still alive, but she's 92 and a half. So it's a, it's a generation that's leaving us. And though my father played a very interesting role in the Congress. He founded the Congressional Human Rights Caucus, and he devoted the bulk of his energy on his efforts to creating a deeply bipartisan body in the Congress that would stand up to defend the fundamental rights of people of all nationalities, all faiths, all backgrounds in the U.S. Congress. And I think that this big heart that he had for defending human rights really was a product of what he had experienced. He knew what it meant to be hunted and persecuted and hated and, of course, many, many millions killed because of their faith identity. And so when he passed away, we, you know, really my family, my mother, my sister, myself, we were very determined to try and carry out his legacy. 
So we established the Lantos Foundation for Human Rights in Congress. And I also want to give thanks to um, Speaker Pelosi at the time. She was Speaker of the House. She reconstituted the Congressional Human Rights Caucus as the Tom Lantos um, Com Human Rights Commission of the Congress. So it's sort of, you know, two, two um, I guess a stool is supposed to have three legs. So there were two stool, two legs of the stool, and there is actually a third one, which is um, a uh, Tom Lantos Institute was established in Budapest also to defend minority rights. And those sort of became, you might almost say, three legs of a stool working to continue this important legacy. And, and religious freedom was always a very big piece of that. So that's a little bit of a, of a background into how... how I came to do this work. I'm a lawyer by training. I, I'm also a professor. I teach at Tufts University, but I just felt called to, to carry on what I, I believed was a noble legacy, and it's been a, a great privilege to do it now for almost 16 years. Wonderful, wonderful. I mean, I think that, you know, I've been involved in the international religious freedom movement for, for about 25 years, and so we've seen it was very, very big for us to get the ministerial. It was very, very big. Um, for to get Ambassador Brown back appointed, yes, um, you yes. know, someone who was a pluralist who happened to be something, yes. you know, happened to be a Catholic in, in yes, his case. Yes. Um, and so be so that he could operationalize religious freedom from a completely different perspective yeah. as opposed to being clergy. Yes. Uh, and so now you're co-chair of the Earth Summit, yes. um, which is what we're at, where we're at now. Mm -hmm. And what do you see uh, as sort of the, the key elements of the Earth Summit? I mean, this is the biggest convening of of multi-faith, um, the multi-faith community in the world, uh, where everybody has differences coming together. But what do you see as sort of the, the, the what do you envision as the outcomes to be, to, to affect, you know, freedom of religion and belief that, and, and, and affect it in a positive way? Because we, it's such a critical element that's going on right now. Well, and you brought up such an important point. Um, it's the 25th year of the adoption of the International Religious Freedom Act, and there have been a lot of important wins. But also we could say that in some senses the state of religious freedom around the world is more perilous than ever. And so part of Ambassador Brownback's vision, when he was our Earth Ambassador, he launched the ministerial, which brought sort of at a high governmental level um, all of the, the key players together. But he came to see that there was a need to turbocharge this movement in a way that a strictly governmental approach really can't. And, you know, the thing of it is we need government, we need policies, we need legislation, we need political leaders speaking out and, and carrying this torch. But at the end of the day, in all dimensions of human rights, it's that, it's that um, what Eleanor Roosevelt sort of referred to as this curious grapevine. It is this coalition and networking between passionate and impassioned advocates uh, from faith communities, from human rights organizations, from young people, beginning to address the problem in their own communities and in innovative and creative ways. And that's really what we hope to spark here at the, at the summit. I recall Ambassador Brownback saying it the first couple of summits, you know, we don't just want you exchanging business cards. We want you exchanging photos of your families because we want the relationships that are built here to be deeper and more personal than just, oh, here's my card, you know, here's my card, you know, be in touch if there's something I can help you in. So we're trying to build those relationships. We are also, of course, trying to shine a spotlight on um, the many tragedies and crises that are occurring around the world. 
We are also, because we have a youth track, um, and we also have brought, uh, we sort of have a youth track, but then we also have a, 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 I don't know exactly what to call it, a young leaders track that has been organized to bring college-age students to the summit where they will get exposure, of course, to the movement and the leaders of the movement, but also training because they are the future leaders. And one more thing, if I can just talk for another moment, and that is that I do think that for the younger generation, the rising generation, millennials, and, you know, I, I sometimes lose track of where the cutoff is for all these different descriptors, but they sense that in this very modern world that we're in, you know, moving at the, at the speed of the internet, sometimes there is a lack of being tied and anchored in the deeper things and the deeper meaning and the deeper questions of life. And so I do sense that more and more young people are searching for causes to dedicate themselves to that go beyond, you know, Taylor Swift and, and Travis Kelsey and their romance. As entertaining as it may be, at the end of the day, they want their lives anchored to, to causes that, that give purpose and direction to their life. And I can think of no better cause than fighting for the freedom of religion, conscience, and belief for persecuted communities around the world. Um, it's, it's, you know, the, the youth track, the idea of passing the torch is a, yeah. it's a big thing. I'm, I'm big on data and, <laughs> and making sure we have uh, informed, uh, that we can make informed decisions to make policy and direct funds. Yeah. Um, and also holding individuals accountable that are in the offices, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, I mean, Ambassador Brownback was way out there, you know, so, so, so he was easy to get a hold of when you say, yeah. hey, you didn't take care of this. And we, you know, and, <laughs> and he cares, he really cares. Does. And so now with this idea of youth engagement um, and, and young leader engagement um, is a different element now. It, it's, it, it hasn't existed in, a, in any formal manner in, in the earth, in the earth uh, world. Um, and it's, it, you know, it's grown up out of, um, you know, concern groups, advocacy groups, civil society. But now we're at a point where there's infrastructure, there's support, there's yes. funding. Yeah. And so when it comes to uh, the next step, okay, we have a, we have a ministerial, we have the Earth Summit. What's, what's the next incarnation to motivate and, and to engage young people to so that they can operationalize Earth? Or, or what do you see? Well, it's, it's one of the challenges we face. And as I say, you know, with the youth track, with bringing the young leaders here, we're trying to kind of cultivate and mentor and empower that rising generation. To some degree, I feel that people of my generation, I'm a little older, I have 16 grandchildren, so I'll let your audience, you know, figure out that I'm not, I'm, I'm not a millennial myself. Uh, we don't, I don't have as much of a grasp on how to use the tools of communication, social media for good and not for ill. Um, all of these all of these new tools that are out there, they really are the ones who need to sort of direct us in how we take this movement to a much broader universe of young people searching for meaning, searching for purpose, searching for causes that they are ready to commit to. Um, so we are, we reach out to them, we bring them here, we train, we mentor, but, but we really also need to kind of be willing to give them some reins and, and have a little faith, <laughs> if I may say so, have a little trust in that regard. Uh, but, you know, we also um, just need to, I think, 
do a better job of getting, particularly on the younger end, but getting members of Congress, members of Parliament, people in positions of power in government to see this as a central human rights cause of our day. You know, we think of the civil rights movement, we think of the women's rights movement, we think of the environmental movement and, and all of these, you know, big mass movements that have captured the imagination of um, young people, but also, um, uh, you know, political leaders. This cause really needs to, to move to that next level so that when we're having um, you know, presidential debates or when we're having, uh, you know, a, a congressional or a Senate candidate, when the secretary of state or the foreign minister go, this is at the top of the agenda. It's not a little sidebar and, oh, by the way, or, you know, a, a little statement will be put out. This needs to be centrally factored into, into our policymaking, into our political discourse, into our social discourse. And that, that's sort of the dream, is to get this, get this to, to be a much more mainstream cause. It's an interesting, interesting comment because it's a founding principle of our country, right? Yeah. The uh, free religion belief, yes. you know, religious freedom, as we sort of say it. And, and people don't recognize it on that, you know. So, but I appreciate you taking the time. I wanted to make sure that, uh, that we did touch base. And, and then so uh, love to, for the opportunity. we'd love to have you on as to, to give commentary maybe in the future as well. And so much. Routinette, thank you thank very you. much. And thank you again for all you're doing. I appreciate you. In Katrina's interview, we chatted. Uh, about a little bit about her background and her father's legacy, uh, which was important to, to for me to, for for me to go over with her because uh, there's a a long-standing tradition and as well as hard work uh, going towards human rights and the catalyst of international religious freedom as a basic human right and codified in our constitution. Uh, was uh, and now has become with now has become the ministerial and the the offshoot of the ministerial, which is the International Freedom Summit. You know, Katrina was able to touch on uh, her priorities, and and we've known each other for some time, but for her to focus her efforts on youth is one of the important elements of international religious freedom. Uh, we we. For, for too long, the, the movement has uh, involved not only faith groups and, and civil society government officials, but the key is to bring in an infusion of innovation and, uh, and individuals who prioritize the freedom to believe, to not believe, to change and choose. And so the focus on youth that Katrina uh, brought up and highlighted as a structure and a formal mechanism within the Earth Summit, uh, changes the matrix of, uh, quite a bit. It allows for uh, an avenue to onboard uh, not only a, a, the youth in a young professionals program and a youth program, but also uh, the ability for individuals to uh, bring their own ideas and motivate the movement in. Uh, uh, interesting directions. One of them is from a, a digital and social media direction. Uh, the other is uh, from an idea of being mentoring and bringing in uh, individuals and pairing them up uh, along with 
socializing the current program problems uh, with international religious freedom and challenges, along with uh, some of the the obstacles to overcome and those that have been overcome. So we were very fortunate to have Katrina uh, give her uh, readout, and uh, I know that in my lead-in to the Earth Summit, I was. Um, speaking about some of the elements that I was concerned with. And, and so we have uh, a number of, of interviews that we're going to be releasing, as I said, and Katrina kind of brought about a number of interesting elements about where the movement has evolved into uh, to address some of the, the concerns of the rise in religious persecution globally. So I hope you enjoyed that interview. And, uh, and we're going to. I'm going to talk with Elliot in a few, just a few moments. Well, just before you do that, I, I have. I'm curious about the subject of youth involvement, uh, partially because it's it's something. It's one of those things that sounds great, but what, when you actually get uh, down into the, the fine details, what does it actually look like? What is actually happening uh, in terms of youth engagement with these issues? And the other thing I'm curious about is. As someone who has been involved in the international religious freedom world for your entire adult life, uh, what message would you most like? Would you like most strongly to communicate to young people who are interested in getting involved in the movement? Um, what what, do, what would you like to impart to them uh, so that they can continue moving things forward? And uh, what would you like most to? to see changed, if you, if you could predict that, uh, since young people get involved. It's an interesting question. So the, 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 the challenge with youth involvement in the past has been a dominance of, uh, of evangelical youth in the movement. Uh, and it's not because, I wouldn't say it's purposeful, I would just say that evangelicals and, and Christian groups are, if you're hosting these events in the United States, then you, you have a, a an abundance of, of Christian groups, but you also have a very ma mature bulwark of youth engagement within these Christian structures, right? And uh, and volunteering. So there's been a, a, a quite a bit of, of 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 Christian youth involved in the Earth Movement, uh, and uh, and a lot of the, the the movement has been staffed by such entities. Uh, these the Christian entities that, that are well-funded, well-staffed, and so forth. Most of the persecuted peoples that participate in the Earth Movement, particularly if there are conferences or meetings in Washington, either will have local offices with representatives and, you know, their their budgets are skint, you know. And then uh, you'd also have uh, individuals that are coming to these, to these uh, events you know, a lot of times they're saving their pennies because they're persecuted peoples. So they're sending just a few, a small cadre of people that are not able to bring uh, a large group of, 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 of youth or, or staff with them. So there's, it's been lopsided because of those reasons. And like I said, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sort of indicting the movement to say that there's some kind of purposeful element behind it. That's just kind of how it is. Um, and so, and then you, you have a tendency to find that the youth that are involved are disenfranchised youth that have started an organization. So, so, uh, and so there's, 
and and have come you know they have skint uh, you know small budgets and 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 are coming to because they want a lot of self-advocacy um and so i think that having a formal entity a formal part of the move of the the earth movement that focuses on a youth track and a young professionals track provide allows for resources to be available and to to onboard into the earth movement um, i have to Admittedly, I have to kind of digest what that is. I haven't done a deep dive into that because it would be, I hope, as, as somebody who to consult on the Earth Summit and kind of get it moving with um, with uh, some of the, with Ambassador Brownback and his staff at the beginning, I kind of shied away from being on the steering committee uh, and uh, I was still doing pulling out and doing all kinds of stuff so the challenge was now is that maybe getting a little bit involved to figure out what that is because it seems like an area that you would want to dump resources in and there's money there so we'd want to you'd want to dump resources into facilitating travel for the for these young people uh providing uh some kind of house subsidy or something like that so when they're in washington they can or pairing them up with it with individuals that can house them and 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 it should be broad-based where there's um, enough individuals that want to participate can can from different backgrounds and, and faith beliefs so that there would be a, a healthy amount of uh, I mean dare I say the word diversity in in the in the in that pool um, so but it was nice to hear Katrina speak about the, making it a priority and for her that may, it being a priority because Katrina is one of these individuals that not only is she passionate she kind of she she gets her, she rolls up her sleeves and gets her hands dirty. So if she owns it, I know it'd be stewarded appropriately. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and uh, and there will be sort of outcomes and outputs, and it will, she will be judicious on 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 how uh, the movement, uh, uh, youth and, and young professionals are sort of stewarded through the movement. Um, so that that's that that was it was good to hear. So. Um, so, but it's been a problem in the past, because of the, the most of the the groups are out there are are that that are mature and have uh, youth involved are are on the Christian side, and um, the 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 dominance of um, of the of aggregating funding and the small group of elders that are sort of involved in the Earth Movement are generally from one particular faith and that's that's christianity so so the if the idea of of, of kind of moving into these other areas is it, where you're going to diversify uh the the next generation is is kind of where it's at i mean we are at the worst religious freedom uh we're, we're at the highest religious religious, religious persecution is on the rise since the ratification of urfa in 1998 um and I've always been a little bit uh, critical of making sure that that funding goes to, to not just a small group of NGOs and not just to a small group of, of of elders that sort of steward the movement. And Katrina, who's been involved in the movement for some time now, uh, isn't one of those elders, um, but she's she's a leader now and and uh, and really sort of taken the reins. And so for this initiative to be started by her and for her involvement with the earth movement means that it's that the that's moving in interesting directions mm -hmm. 
uh, youth who grew up in an evangelical context, especially, uh, often have a certain type of experience that is unique to them in that most evangelical churches engage in some form of uh, overseas missions work. And it's common for them to engage in missions trips, and often those missions trips are almost exclusively geared towards the youth. And so many evangelical young people do have some experience going overseas, engaging with people in other countries, and, and participating in some form of charitable missions work. There's a broad spectrum that's represented in that experience. Everything from what's essentially, you know, a, a vacation with a thin veneer of charity associated with it to, you know, really rolling up your sleeves and um, working with people who like live in garbage dumps and stuff like that um, in various places. And, and then so there's a broad spectrum um, and I'm curious whether you have a, an opinion as to whether the, that, that set of experiences that tends to come packaged with uh, evangelical youth uh, affects their a approach to uh, international religious freedom in a particular way. So that's an interesting question. So maybe I'll go backwards and go forwards. So the, <laughs> most from a, from a Muslim perspective or a religious minority perspective, you know, of which I am one. Most of the youth that are here in America are first, second or third generation, but most of our first generation immigrants. And so they're highly sophisticated, you know, no multiple languages. I've, I've traveled, if, if nothing else, back and forth to family, but or have as refugees or um, through the track of immigration hit multiple countries to come here. Um, so it's a different international experience mm. most most are plugged into the uh the groups that especially in college into the groups that uh, the groups that represent their their faith uh or and and but there's very there's a very small uh pool of those of those organizations so, so, and they're mostly focused on how the community lives rather than getting involved in movements. So it's career, uh, family, uh, you know, getting involved in your local, your local community through, uh, your place of worship and so forth. So, so it's a different type of experience when it comes to, to, I think, religious minorities in country. Uh, you know, as as you grow through, your, as you as you become a first second generation, it's like first second and third generation. You kind of move more into a, a less integrated structure, but 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 you're close, stay close to home and close to what you know. I think that when it comes to like even the evangelical movement or any of those movements that have missions, they're already part of that of a. I mean, I don't. I get messianic structure. Right? So they're they are familiar with command and control. They understand 
what outcomes and outputs are, um, they socialize with the N the NGO community and and what and what they do, um, and and a lot of them choose a career path that jumps into those NGOs, right? Uh, so, you know, World Vision is a good example of one of those, one of the largest uh, in Samaritan's Purse and those guys. So I think that it, it, it provides a competitive advantage uh, because there's already an onboarding, a career track, and there's already an understanding of, of how these structures work. Um, it are the, it is the, but does it come from a mission centric proselytizing component? Yes. So that I, I don't know if you can separate that when it comes to the earth movement. And that's been a, a, a conversation that's come up quite a bit of whether or not. So as I outlined in IRFA, uh, and in the Constitution, freedom to believe, to not believe, to change and choose. Generally, proselytizing, uh, generally conversion, is the act of, of going out there and converting is, is pricked on a free speech. And so there's a debate that's going on, that's been going on since its beginnings, um, but it's really kind of hot and heavy right now, the last 10 years, of whether or not the belief your religious belief to convert is protected under religious freedom. And so, uh, and that dialogue is still going on. Um, because if you're, if you're just trying to, if you're just trying to believe in something and then someone comes in and says, no, we've got something better. Is that interruption religious, religious freedom on which side? Where, where's, which side is protected under religious freedom? Yeah, this is a, a conversation we were having over the course of the trip is, is this interesting dynamic where there's a natural sympathy uh, in the evangelical world towards the notion of religious freedom because obviously we're not the only religious group who believe that we're right. Obviously any religious group believes that they're right, otherwise they wouldn't be practicing their religion. But there's well, I sort of a unique time. <laughs> well, I'm not sure if people believe that. I'm, I'm going to step in for a minute because I think the, uh, I don't know if people think they're right I, so much as it, you know, when religion, you know, it's, I always say it's, it's theology, identity and community. So I don't, I don't know if people, I, I, I don't never go, I'm going to say ever, but, but I, when I, I don't, I'm not sure I think of whether I'm right or not, but it's me, right? I can't separate it from me. Okay. Right. So, so, but I, I think that. I think it's a I think it's very very unique to a specific like in Islam specific with palms right so so schools of of, of of Islam right so so like I would say like the Hanbalis believe they're right of the four uh, on the Sunni side right so you, know, you know, Maliki and right. the Hanbali and, and you know, the, the, the Shafi says stuff so those guys I would say that the Twelvers believe they're right you know um, I would say everybody else is just kind of like this is who they are from an identity standpoint, you know? Um, so there may be something that is particular to evangelicalism. I mean, there's like most of my Jewish friends, they don't Jew or un-Jew. Ismailis don't Ismaili or un smiley. you know? So there's not necessarily this idea, Zoroastrians don't, don't they don't Zoroastrian or un-Zoroastrian. Mm -hmm. you know, you're born into it. So, 
I think there's a healthy amount of groups out there that are out there. They're just who they are. And, and whether they, they may think they're right, sort of on an esoteric level, but not in a way that's sort of like a projection or they're going to not accept someone on the other side. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. And I, so I think, and, and that's, that's, I think, born out of my religious engagement from my career. But it, there is a uniqueness to something like you know, the, 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 uh, the Mormon community um, when, when I interact with the Mormon community about what's going on there and the missions that they, that they, they go out, uh, that it's part of the structure of the church. Um, yeah, Latter-day Saints, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, all these groups come from a Christian context and a, a post-Catholic Christian context. I mean, you saw those spires as you drove in for the first time of the Latter-day yeah, Saint the Temple. Latter-day Saint Temple. That was amazing. I didn't, I had no idea that was there, and it's very impressive coming in. The point I'm making, though, is, I mean, in the Gospel of John, there's this quote that every Christian knows, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So for an evangelical, there is a direct correlation between freedom and truth. They're essentially the same thing. And so there's an assumption you know, we, we have this sympathy towards the notion of, of uh, religious freedom because we assume that um, to the extent to which you are free, you are able to find the truth. And the truth is Jesus, right? So uh, that creates a, a dynamic that's a, a double-edged sword. On the one hand, evangelicals can care very deeply about the religion, the notion of religious freedom, because we we believe that freedom is important. On the other hand, there's a, a back end to that freedom that assumes that having become free, you will find Jesus, and yeah. that can color the approach that we take, where we're going in less with an attitude of wanting to learn and exchange ideas, and more with an attitude of ultimately wanting to evangelize right this it's interesting because I, i'll give you so when we drove in on 3 395 we were on the beltway and you saw that the the the, the, the latter-day saint temple right the church there uh, and it was it's made so you can you come around that corner and you you see it from far off um that's done purposefully because they're very outward right um that when I when we drove back, we were we were driving out. I or I pointed and I said, "Oh, that's the that's the that's the national that's the national cathedral." And and then right from where we were at the hotel, there was a spire there, and that's the national mosque. Mm-hmm. The national mosque is the, the we, we you know affectionately call it the mosque that the Saudis built, right? So it's it's an opulent mosque. Everyone is welcome, in in quotes. But but it was built by a very specific school. Um, in a very, it was funded in a very specific way. There's also a national mosque. There's a mosque that, that, that's the national mosque that's on Rhode Island that nobody really knows about us for all the other Muslims. Right? And, and, and the mom there is, is a really good guy that we, we, we that you go, can go to. And, and it's, a, it's, it's not that the national mosque isn't a multi-faith mosque, but it was built for a specific purpose. It, as sort of a glam, you know, uh, site, you know, this is, this is what a mosque should look like. This is, um, and then, and then, and the idea, um, isn't, it's not a bad idea, but you can tell the, 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 the schools that are kind of out there. And this is a good, really good example. You have the Latter-day Saints church, 
you've got the national national cathedral, but then you also have the mosque that the Saudis built, which is you know they're way down the Hanbali camp, right? So 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 that's and that school's very very passionate about you know evangelizing. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so so um, it, it's a good example of of how the how different it, the intrafaith component within like say Christianity or or the intrafaith component within or within Islam how certain certain schools of thought decide that they want to you know peacock uh, essentially and and say well you know I, I want what's that building what's going on what's there not that not that a place of worship is there's anything wrong with that but it's a good example of the difference in schools so Ismailin Jamaat Kona is all the way out in a strip mall in in Falls Church okay so so it's you know it's, and and it's I think reflective of a number of things one is it's a persecuted minority within Islam um, and wasn't uh, wasn't accepted into as a the general um, it wasn't it wasn't accepted as mainstream Islam until 2004 uh, so it's sort of reflective of that but it's also reflective of the community just wants a place to worship together you know um, and uh, doesn't and everybody's welcome but it's not a, it's not a big deal um, so so I think that there's a, 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 a kind of interesting backdrop when it comes to the motivation behind just even the observation of the places of worship that you can see from just about anywhere in town, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, if you look, there's an national, there's the net. So, you spoke to David Curry. You talk, spoke to uh, Knox Thames. Yep, and and Father Andrew Andrew Bennett. Um, all, you know, very very. Uh, well, David Curry, not so much, but I've known David Curry for a few years. But um, he's a nice United States commission. He's a commissioner for the United States Commission for International Religious Freedom. Uh, he served two terms. He's going after a third. And we question whether or not there should be term limits here now on, on certain things. But um, uh, Knox and I have known each other for, I guess, probably maybe 20 years. And Andrew Bennett, uh, we've known each other for about at least at least 15. And, uh, Knox stands at the United States Commission for International Religious Freedom as staff. <clears throat> then jumped over to USIP, the United States Institute for Peace, and was a special envoy uh, for the Department of State for South and Central uh, Asia, as well as a special envoy for religious but religious minorities. Um, and we've worked together for a number of years. Um, uh, and uh, Andrew Bennett was the first Earth ambassador for the Earth office in in Canada that when it was set up, and so we spent a lot of time setting that up. Although I did make a faux pas and mentioned that he and talk about. The, the, the uh, Canadian surf, uh for some reason, I don't know, maybe it was on my mind after David Curry. Um, but we had a, a really good, interesting conversation because my, uh, we're going to be releasing those uh, one a week over the next month, uh, along with your four interviews, which uh, you, we, your mandate was sort of to talk with the persecuted peoples that were representing issues, which is, was, you, you got some really interesting inter interviews. Uh, and I was overjoyed to, to speak of, with each one of them about what they're doing. Um, I'm big on data, so and getting away from anecdotal, inf anecdotal information finding its way into policymaking and directing of funds. And uh, David Curry's organization uh, is um, now doing putting together some data analytics for on on uh, incidents of violence that, that are a result of, of religious persecution and uh, using primary source documentation. So I, I've got to do a deep dive into that probably in 
March uh, over this month so that we could talk about it in March and maybe have him back to speak on some of these issues. Yeah, uh, I'm sure we'll go more into depth in term, in, into uh, what Curry is doing when we um, post his interview later this month. Uh, the impression that I got from, from what I heard, uh, especially from evangelical Christians operating in this space, is that their uh, endeavors are mainly based around um, disseminating information, um, creating educational resources, sometimes even creating uh, devotional resources to try to build awareness, build engagement, which I think is a very important thing. Obviously, the more people who are aware of these issues, aware of what's going on in various places around the world, the better. Although that, again, can have a complex dynamic by which people can become overwhelmed with sort of statistical data and feel like, okay, what can I do about any of this? Which, you know, leads to the the kind of impression that I have that, yes, disseminating information is great, creating educational resources is great, creating devotional resources is great, uh, creating awareness is great, but then what? What else happens? And I, without being too cynical about it, it is possible to create this the smoke screen of education that essentially terminates on itself as far as we can tell. And are you worried about that dynamic? What are your impressions of that? Well, it was, in, it was interesting. I, I, I did get, uh, I did feel that things are moving in the right direction. Dave Curry is doing some data analytics, which is which is good. Bringing data to make policy and, and direct funding is good. Knox was doing intrafaith engagement uh, to very similar to, to to what I did with uh, when I was in the American Islamic Congress to or make the Islamic community the most diverse Muslim community on the planet is in America, and and to engage the Ummah on an intrafaith component to. To motivate the community to sort of advocate for that you know highest form of justice is, is Islam. The idea of religious freedom is 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 close to the heart of of every Muslim. And then and then uh, when it was uh, when I was talking to, to Father Andrew Bennett, he was he was working on a community level uh, in in Canada on the issues associated with religious freedom. So there's a lot of movement in in really really good directions, um, you know. It, it's but you also have to consider that the movement is 25 years old. Religious persecution has been steadily on the rise since the eradication of Urfa by any rubric, any rubric, not just violence. And why? It's because a lot of these organizations that there's a very small group of organizations that aggregate the funds and, and a small group of leaders. And a lot of the, what they do is disseminate information. I think the hard part is, is that you're disseminating information 
because that's what they know. And you have a, an organization like World Vision. They're not a religious freedom organization, right? They're a, a, a World Vision is a Christian organization uh, who, that does international development work. But essentially provides social services. Mm -hmm. They have a multi-faith staff. And so they're a, a very, very strong Christian motivated organization that have a multi-faith staff that are out there doing good things. Is religious freedom part of their DNA of their organization? Yeah. But is it, it's implicit in sort of their management and command structure and how, and then providing within like the Christian context, this idea of, you know, the, 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 this, the, maybe it's the Samaritan or maybe it's, it's the priesthood of Jesus, you know, taking care of the, the, you know, the downtrodden and all that stuff. Right. And so, so there's some, there, there's an organization that is not big on disseminating information, big on just sort of like faith in action. Mm -hmm. I think that there is there's been so many organizations that talk about faith in action uh, talk about so we're think and do tanks you know that sort of thing but generally what they're doing is they're 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 disseminating information i'm very concerned about getting into sort of frontier areas for conversion um and 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 uh executing their religious freedom rights uh um, by being uh, all over the world uh, Knox was interested. It was very interesting talking about how Christians need to be on the sort of tip of the spear when it comes to religious freedom. So his interfaith engagement uh, is is uh, is a priority for him, and and so I think that, and people need to know. People need to uh, be educated on how to operationalize religious freedom globally. And so, what a great initiative, um, and and much needed. Something that's unique. To there's not a lot of there's not a lot of initiatives like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, Knox is a smart guy, so and but he's a believer, right? So he's Christian, right? So he's he's got this this Christianness. He's got this year, years of experience, and he sees he sees an opportunity, right? There's a there's an opportunity for interfaith engagement within the Christian community to educate people on religious freedom, and and why why would he be doing that? Well, he's doing it because there's no one doing it right so there's no one that's taking you know scripture and saying it really means you know respect and help the other yeah um i'm i i'm not indicting all the, the entire religious freedom movement i'm just saying that knox wouldn't be doing this coming from 25 years of experience 20 years of experience in religious freedom movement and being a christian if he didn't think there was a need uh -huh. um, he didn't think there was a market for it and didn't want to spend his retirement on it. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it, it's very telling. Uh, so, you have groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses who they're big on information. They have the, the, the Watchtower book and magazines and stuff. And so, that's you, you have a tendency when you're dealing with religious inf religious freedom to stick with what you know, and and plug it into your 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 existing programming just from a budgetary standpoint it sounds good right you got it it makes sense but you have to be careful that it doesn't look like uh just a, just a, you, that you're expressing your religious freedom as far as pro, in process as proselytizing so um i i think that 
the biggest thing that I could say, Joy kind of went on about that stuff, but all that stuff is secondary to the idea that if you're going to uh, advocate for religious freedom, the biggest thing that can be done right now is soliciting from different faith groups what is religious freedom to them. Because religious freedom, one of the 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 elements that has come out as as a result of my years of experience in this in this field is that we have a rest western centric rubric that is not contextualized to different markets so religious freedom to not to other groups means something different mm-hmm. and so if you're going to put the overlay of religious freedom on from a western centric mindset onto a community they may not consider that consider those issues religious freedom issues um or and they may have other issues that are religious freedom issues. Um, so I did an analysis of religious freedom in Afghanistan, and I did two analyses, one of a particular group and, and, the, uh, and one from a, uh, a governing group, the ulama, and one is the Hazara. And when we talked about religious freedom, they were, a lot, a lot of the elements were, were not about freedom of religion and belief as we see it, but was about uh, things that they thought were mostly, it was all mostly intra-faith elements. Uh, uh, marriage between different two different uh, schools of thought, the Thompson, or uh, someone that might be practicing witchcraft, uh, or you know, mm-hmm. stuff that we wouldn't think of. Yeah. Um, uh, the idea of you know meddling with the dark arts. <laughs> so so uh, which may or may not be experimentation. You know, we talked about your brother at one time who was dressing a certain way and. And uh, it was in a gothic way and stuff like that, and 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 so sometimes you kind of got to get through that that bad boy phase, you know, to get to where you want to be, you know. Mm-hmm. And that may not be a religious freedom issue, but but it, but that those are the issues that came up when talking with the Ulama Council. We were chatting about these things, and they were saying, "Well, I don't know, uh, but you know, th- these are the things that we see as religious freedom issues." And even though I explained them, if you didn't believe to, to not believe to change and choose, they were more concerned with this intra-faith element. They weren't concerned with whether or not Christians or Zoroastrians or Hindus could come in and they could talk to them. Um, it wasn't part of the, and they were like so of, of their thinking mm. um, because I'm more on the we're thinking from a community-based action. Um, so I think that com- organizations stick with what they know. Um, I think that disseminating information only goes so far, particularly if it has nothing to do with understanding who you're disseminating that information to. Right. And, you know, to a certain extent, motivation doesn't necessarily matter. As long as you're accomplishing something good that results in more awareness about the issues of religious freedom and maybe uh accomplishes some level of change somewhere in the world that's positive then whether your motivations are pure or not is kind of beside the point but uh it's something you know just to 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 keep in mind and continue discussing as as we uh look at these various speakers and and stuff like that you know where are they coming from what's their end goal as as we understand it and what other groups might we um, encouraged to come into this space so that there's a wider diversity of motivations involved uh, just in, in how these things are approached. Yeah, I think socializing every, uh, with, between the, the diversity of faith communities is important. I think there's a, 
there is there are people that want there is are people who are in the movement that want the the leadership to be under one one idea one school of thought um, which is antithetical to the, the religious freedom movement but that that's that's just pathetic human nature you know the, the, the you know the groups want to feel everybody feels that they can do it better or that they're charged with things therefore um they have the idea behind it um but i think that there's it is a western-centric thing um the idea of religious freedom is is it, it's codified in the constitution but um you know if you it, it goes back to almost every to, to multiple civilizations as far back as you want to go so you know i have the dairy type the cylinders that sits in my office and that's the first it's this cuneiform sort of cylinder that has the first written human rights and religious freedom elements in there mm -hmm. and, and it's it's it sits behind my desk given to me by the assyrian community so um and and so it sits there sort of hovering over me <laughs> so uh, uh, and and it and it, it it's completely not talked about discussed or mentioned um i i spoke with a member of the, the of a of a catholic catholic founded um, religious freedom organization and the founder said yeah religious freedom was invented by the catholics uh, so uh, I, I, what do you, what do you mean by that? So, so there, there's, you know, you can't break from. I think what people believe and their thought process. Um, you know, if you, I can take the cylinder, I can take Hammurabi's code, and I can say, well, it's right here. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that those civilizations, you know, let, let's take Hammurabi's code, right, or or the Darius cylinder, and then we'll stick, we'll stay out of Iran. We'll just stay in Iraq. Erbil is one of the oldest inhabited cities of the world in the, ever in the world one of the oldest inhabited cities in the world you know eight thousand year history maybe uh the assyrians dominated that, 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 that the 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 abbasids essence all these guys were there they've been practicing religious freedom longer than just about anybody out there they uh, the Kurdish ministry is the only government ministry that I know of on the planet where each faith group has an office in the ministry that represents religion. Mm -hmm. What? Like, we don't have that here. Yeah. So we don't have, you know, all of the faith groups in America represented on Capitol Hill. In I mean, there's, yeah, there's, there's there might be... Um, uh, uh, you know, committees or groups, and uh, uh, what are they called? I can't remember the name now. Um, I can't remember the name of the. Uh, it'll come to me. Um, but we we don't have formal offices where the faith groups sort of vote in uh, a person to represent their the faith group and how that would be interacted. And I understand we have separation of church and state, but these representative groups are lobbying all over the place the representative groups have offices in washington for a reason so i think that 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 model is something to look at and that model comes doesn't come from western centric that doesn't come from west from the west mm -hmm. it, you know they they that happened naturally on their own when uh when saddam hussein ceased to to run the country 
they formed this ministry and they said, we need to have the ministry of religion and, and belief or whatever it's called. I can't remember. And, uh, and then you can go to the ministry and you can stop in every faith, faith's office. And they did that on our own organically. Yeah. And yet we still haven't had an international religious freedom round table there. Uh -huh. So, uh, because they're kind of plugged into here and, and there's this weird sort of, well, where, where, where does it come from? Does it come from Washington? Does it come from the ground up? Right. And if it comes from the ground up, then you don't have access to the resources of the religious freedom movement, right? That's, that's Western, that, that resides here in the West. So, so you, they, you kind of turn and say, well, we want the resources, so let's let them come over. But they've been doing it for 8,000 years. Mm -hmm. Maybe not great. You know, I, I'm sure that when the Syrians lost their empire, there was some religious persecution. We happen to know about ISIS and all kinds of other stuff. But this is all born out of a post-ISIS world. Mm -hmm. which is pretty sexy you know and and they're slugging it out over there trying to figure out how to represent their issues and and but guess what how cool is it that in the ministry Zoroastrian can get up and walk down the hall and talk with the Shia and be like what are we doing here right and then go to the minister and say look we've got a problem mm -hmm. um, I mean, one of the cool success stories is that remember the Jewish community was talking with a member of, of the Muslim community in the ministry, and they rebuilt a mosque, or not a mosque, a, a synagogue, huh. um, in, in one of the rural areas. How cool is that? Yeah. So, uh, and that was that was in 2019. I know I was there. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with like raging anti-Semitism, right? And I understand that a lot of people left Iraq because they, they went to Israel, and then some of it has to do with persecution, but a lot went to, to the Israel, to the you know the, the the Jewish homeland, but that's pretty cool. Um, so uh, UAE does this to a certain extent too. The UAE is as a flourishing Jewish community flourishing, which we did the the, the, the documentary on, and uh, and then we there's a, a flourishing Christian community, and then they have the Abrahamic house. So they're they're sort of operationalizing this differently, where there's a, a mosque, a, a church, and a synagogue all on one property, one piece of real estate, and anybody can go worship. That's pretty, just pretty neat. But, but that's coming from not, it's not from a Western-centric view. It's coming from an Islamic view. So there's, there's and the Kurds are coming, in Kurdistan, it's not coming from an Islamic view. I mean, that's part of it, but it comes from the idea that it, it comes from the Darius Cylinder. It comes from Amurabi's code. It comes from, we've been doing this for a long time. How do we, how do we accept modernity? And... In the, in, in, in the same respect, respect in the same element, same ilk, respect, faith groups. Uh, and so here we are, this modern entity, here we have faith groups, but then we have this, this legitimacy and this lineage that goes back 8,000 years. And they're like, well, let's put it in the ministry. Let's, let's let everybody else, let's have that everybody advocate for themselves, um, but, but let's have everybody present in the same room. And there's this thing in, in Erbio called, there's a citadel. And there used to be this like sort of like round table thing going on, like, you know, and so everybody used to convene and discuss the issues and then kind of go away now. Uh, and so they've kind of reestablished that citadel mindset. Hmm. Um, uh, the Assyrians used to, used to do that and govern this sort of arbitrate over these issues, sort of like Solomon did, right? And so there's, they've kind of reconvened that in the ministry. And I think that's fantastic. And so there's a, 
two examples in the UAE and in, in Kurdistan of a non-Western-centric international religious freedom um, um, view uh, viewpoint that is not, not only celebrating but operationalizing religious freedom from an, a completely different beach of the religious freedom pond. Uh, and so I think more engagement needs to be done between the Earth Movement here and some of those movements that are successful. Um, they're doing the same thing in the Ukraine. There's there's a, a, the International Religious Freedom Roundtable, that the faith-based roundtable that grew out of existing civil society, mm-hmm. a, a meeting that they have had for a long time between the Muslim, uh, Christian, various Christian communities, and um, and the Jewish community there. Um, so they had a roundtable uh, that, that 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 wasn't plugged in to the Earth Movement here. And that's, you know, sort of an Eastern European sort of Slavic thing going on, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, so uh, I, th- I think that there is that that those are that those are three areas that are three places that would strengthen the religious freedom movement. And in doing so, give an opportunity for the movement to have uh, a an infusion of best practices like outcomes and outputs from lineages that go back hundreds, thousands of years. And then when it comes to disseminating information, like you're saying, now we're talking about something that's profound. Mm -hmm. Uh, It doesn't take away from the founding principles of the United States and its religious freedom. It doesn't take away from that. It, 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 it shows a more integrated sort of global perspective. Right. Yeah, it's not an imposition of Western values. It's the idea is helping people from various cultures around the world remember why religious freedom is important for them. Right, and the blind and and, 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 and the, the, the you know the the Western values are great, but there's blind spots when it comes when you're walking into uh, post ISIS world, or you're walking into Syria, when you're yeah. walking into these places. It's there's, there's blind spots. Mm-hmm. Um, you know you you. I went to when I went to Jordan and I, and I was talking with Chris Kelly. I he he was nervous because I was a, I was a smiley. Mm-hmm. So, what, what are we? T- no, but but what? Why are you here? You know, Shia aren't. There's not a lot of Shia uh, in 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 Jordan. So so it was, and let alone people that have lineage that goes back to the Fadi. So 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 it was it was it was a, it was it was an interesting meeting. So. Um, the, the, so the challenge I think is, is that, that you provide these contextual models. You look at some of the things that are out there that are mature, that are there, that have been there for a while. And instead of trying to bring them into this West, the, the Western fold, um, which generally happens because we have money, we have resources and they want them. So you, you kind of like, they take it sort of step down. Um, and, but they should be walking with their chest out and coming in as an equal partner. And I think that's what the global network uh, of the Earth Secretariat, um, the mandate is and should be about and and, and what should continue to to focus on. Yeah, well, great. I look forward to having uh, more of these discussions from various perspectives as we share interviews with some of the other uh, people that we spoke to during the summit. It was a great experience and I'm looking forward to continuing to explore it this month. I appreciate you both. Thanks, man.